Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I have a guest with me today who I'm really looking forward to chatting to. She's going to give us some of her lived experience stories and the things that she's been through. You know that that was kind of the whole point to Unfollowing Mum was to build this community where we can share lived experiences as well as speak to professionals. So hi, Jasmine. Hi, how's your day going? You okay? Yeah, it's going well. It's been a bit hectic this morning, not going to lie. Edith still at home she's still poorly so it's it's been one of those mornings but what about you I'm good thank you I'm really excited to be on here I came across the podcast um I think just before you went on holiday I was blown away I was like I I need to speak with Harriet I need to speak with her just to you know and to speak with other people as well to you know share my story and to because I'm only 19 I wanted to share a younger person's point of view from kind of the get-go and I'm estranged from my dad um, which I don't use that word very often I haven't used it before I, I've listened to the podcast uh, I just wanted to share you know my point of view and I estranged from my dad when I was 14. Yeah I think it's quite important as well because we hear or I hear a lot even in my 30s or you regret it when you're older I think that's something that's lobbied against people who are younger, who have made these decisions to cut contact with a parent for whatever reason, or you get the, or your other parent poisons you. It's almost like you're incapable of making your own decisions for what keeps you safe. And people make these comments completely flippantly without having any idea about what's happened, what's gone on in the relationship. So can you tell me a little bit about why you've become estranged from your parent and what's gone on? So from a, from like the day I was born, my parents weren't together and there was like a lot of abuse before that towards my mum. There was like scenarios where my dad would like, when she was pregnant with me, he like made him, kiss her shoes um like to say sorry um that like the the abuse was like very very early on and then when I was around um like in you know growing up I was taken away by social services and I had to live with my mum for three years you know there was lots of scenarios in my life where there was 
clear visions of abuse and that trauma has been since day one and then like once I became like 14 he just started showing um well from like the age of 11 maybe he just started showing like behaviors that just weren't okay um and then speaking to other people and I was like seeing other people's dads and I was like my dad's not like that like his behavior isn't okay and my mum never said anything until obviously I estranged. She wanted to keep it very like mellow and not very um, biased based on her experiences. She wanted me to experience it for myself, which I think is really brave of my mum to do that. Um, she could have just said no. Um, but it has been throughout my life that I've experienced that. So when you've got, you, you've had this pattern right from when you've been little, especially towards your mum, but what changed when you got to 11? What were the kind of behaviours that you were experiencing? Um, So it was just, you know, like, it's very difficult to explain because I'm sure other people with, I say, narcissistic in a, you know, quotations, mm. because I don't know what his behaviours are of a narcissist. Um, He, um, it would, it's little incremental things that don't seem very big at the time, but when they add up, it's like, it's like you're being drowned. It's horrible. Um, And it was little things like, you know, if my friends came over, it was little behaviours like, you know, being homophobic towards my friend who wasn't even um like of the LGBTQ community. Like he was completely straight. It was little things and it was um there was one scenario where uh you know starting out with makeup and I was asking for makeup for Christmas and from my mum's house I sent like a long text saying you know this is why I want makeup you know I'm a teenage girl and he said he read this message out to everyone at a Christmas party mm. to completely humiliate me and it seems so little but this was every day this was just constant I think the the abuse and this sound doesn't sound like abuse when I speak to it and um but after I left it just got a whole lot worse um and I just you know I'm still trying to kind of deal with it but it did get a lot worse from both a professional perspective as a coach who works with clients on a daily basis who have toxic parents and who are coming through these scenarios and as somebody who's lived through it and experienced it I can tell you that very much sounds like abuse and what we have when we have narcissistic fathers is quite often that much more overt narcissistic behavior. And, and again, I've said this so many times on the podcast, when we talk about emotional immaturity, we talk about narcissistic behavior. These aren't diagnostic terms like narcissistic personality disorder. We all have narcissism within us. We are allowed to say that our parents have these narcissistic behaviors or behaviors that fit narcissistic um, traits and qualities. That's not diagnosing somebody. But when we see, and it's it's really common from everything that I have both experienced and learned over the last few years, to see narcissistic fathers being much more overt in their behavior. There's that aggression. There's that belittling, which you explained with reading out your message to try and humiliate you. They're all purposeful behaviors done in a very attacking form as opposed to playing the victim, which we see much more with a, a mother of that personality who will play the victim, who will give the sob story, who will say, you know, you just, you've never liked me. You've always been mean to me. And of course we get malignant narcissistic mothers, 
but with fathers it tends to be a real almost like a continual attack and like you said about drowning it's like death by a thousand paper cuts there's always some little kind of thing going on there so you got to about 14 and these kind of tiny behaviors that all they do they they snowball massively and add up and you might speak on them and say well it doesn't really sound that bad but when it's a constant attack a constant hammering it adds up it does massively what have been the experiences since you cut contact in the January of 2019 I just decided to just be like once a certain scenario happened and I just rung my uh, my best friend's mum and I was like I need you to pick me up I feel really unsafe um and he'd left the house to go out for the day um or to do a food shop or something like that and I rung the I literally just got a bin bag and just shoved like the stuff that I needed in a bin bag they picked me up um and I, I didn't go back um I received so many messages like I'm a spoiled brat um I'm a complete bitch so many things I'm just like my mum um different things like that and like it was complete harassment it was every day you need to speak to me now come home now I'm not paying for the ski trip I'm not paying for this you know so many different things and it just got to a point where I, I did block him on everything. I wanted to be reasonable. Um, I did block him on everything. And then that's when it just ramped up. He used to contact, it got to a point where he contacted the school and he lived just around, right around the corner. He turned up to the school with a suicide note um, whilst I was doing my mock exams. Um, suicide note said, you need to give that to Jasmine. They obviously read it. And... Before that, the school hadn't taken it seriously. They were just like, you need to speak to your dad. You need to speak to him. He's very upset. You know, why are you doing this to him? You know, you're 14. You need to speak to your dad. He's your parent. And I was like, I feel unsafe around him. I, I live on my own. It's literally just me and my dad in that house. And they were, I think if I had been physically abused, and I had bruises all over my arms and, you know, different things like that, they would have taken it so much more seriously from the get-go. And Mm -hmm. looking back on that, it makes me really angry that the way that they went went about it. And I think about it all the time. I'm like, why did they behave in that way? And it was only when he sent that suicide letter and said, I'm going to go into my garage and shoot myself that was like right okay we need to help this help Jasmine Mm. it's baffling that it has to get to that level of severity for them to even acknowledge and we quite often hear as well if it was that bad why didn't anybody speak out why didn't you say and I've spoken to people before who've had sustained emotional abuse from their parent and the question is why didn't you tell anyone but this is one of the reasons why people don't reach out because even when you do especially as a child yourself and a teenager in particular I believe because teenagers are so often viewed as well everybody you know everybody goes through it in their teens none of us like our parents and it goes so much beyond that for a child to have the courage to reach out and say I don't feel safe in that home to then be told yeah but it's your dad you need to speak to him 
if it had been, I don't feel safe, there is sexual abuse, I don't feel safe, there is physical abuse, totally different scenario. But when it's, I don't feel safe, these are the kind of things that are happening and that is emotional abuse. It's just passed off as a bit of a disagreement between a teenager and an adult. And don't get me wrong, every teenager has a fractious relationship at some point with their parent. That is kind of the point of us growing older we're we're separating away from them we are becoming our own independence we're going to rub up against each other and fall out but it's how it's handled even in those moments when your teen is fuming with you and they've maybe stormed out the house or whatever it might be it's still a safe space to use that kind of language of I'm not safe in that house that should have been ringing so many alarm bells and waving so many red flags and yet it often doesn't purely because it's a parent. You mentioned that you were alone in the house with your dad. Where was your mum in this scenario? Um, so my like my mum and my dad are split. So yeah. I um like I live with my dad half the time, I live with my dad my mum half the time, like one week, one um week. And um my mum was my mum like does work abroad. Um so because it was over like Christmas. I was there for three weeks and like you just said like parents and teenagers aren't supposed to be friends Mm -hmm. like in that sense but and I will hold my hands up and say yeah I probably was a typical teenager you know I went out and you know I you know I didn't like go out drinking when I was staying at my dad's my dad was a lot more strict than my mum was um so I was an angel around my dad but around my mum not so much Mm. but so it wasn't like a typical teenager behavior I was so calm with him because anything like if I raised my voice or said anything I was terrified to even say anything that would be out of place um so I was a completely different person between my parents Mm. And that in itself speaks volumes. I've had a great um, therapist on the podcast before. She's Maggie with Perspectacles online. And she often talks about beware of the good child, the child whose behavior is exemplary, the child who is that angel. And we're not talking about the child who, you know, gets good grades, does all of this really nicely, but has the odd moment or the odd temper tantrum. It's the child that never acts out never speaks back, never does any of these things, is always striving for perfection, that child raises red flags to her as a therapist. Because if you have a child who, like you say, you felt like you had to be an angel around your dad, you had to have exemplary behavior, because if you didn't, the repercussions were so severe it wasn't like I'm sure you will have had arguments with your mum especially if you were acting out or you were doing what teenagers do you have those blowouts with your parent you have those disagreements and you'll have that slanging match and then it will calm down but in a way the child that feels safe to act out and the child that feels safe to have a bit of a meltdown to break down to push boundaries that's a healthy dynamic it's normal for us to want to do those things and what you're experiencing there with your mum was a relationship where you could push those boundaries but when it came to your dad it was almost like instinctually you knew you couldn't or if you did it would put you in danger and that that speaks volumes absolutely um and it wasn't just acting out um so 
I suffer with anxiety um, and like, you know, the thought of going out sometimes terrifies me. So I'll have something planned and I'll be like, can't go. Um, so, you know, like there was so many scenarios where I would, um, he'd, you know, got something amazing planned and, you know, I will, I will genuinely give it to him. The things that he had planned were amazing, but he wasn't telling me what we were doing. So like, you know, we were going out with his, his partner and, um, you know, going out for Christmas and I was feeling really anxious. And I was like, dad, please, can you tell me where we're going? You know, so I can see where like where we're going what the building looks like I need to see like things and he was like no Jasmine stop stop spoiling the surprise mm. it's a surprise and I'm like dad we're in the car we're about you know you say we're about 20 minutes away can you just tell me where we're going and it was constantly known and then I'd get worked up and it get to a point when we're at the at the venue and he'd be like Jasmine you need to stop behaving like a child like why are you behaving like this? Stop being so stroppy. I brought you to this beautiful place. I spent so much money. I've spent this, this and this on you over Christmas. Why are you being so ungrateful? And it wasn't that I was ungrateful. I just wanted to know so then I could calm my anxiety. But he didn't understand that. He didn't understand that I had anxiety. And he thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I, no matter how many times I explained to him, he just didn't seem to understand it's really common for toxic parents to completely dismiss any kind of mental health or needs be that uh, anxiety be that neurodivergency it's that dismissal of it and often it's because it's how it reflects on them he wanted someone who would dote on him and be oh my goodness this is amazing and that thing that we see online where the kids start screaming because they're so excited by the surprise. And actually, having done surprises with my kids very, very often, that's not always the reality. Sometimes they're super excited, but they just look at you with this dumbfounded look of, <laughs> oh, oh, wow. And as a parent, if you're not aware that everybody processes information differently or you refuse to acknowledge it, it can feel a bit like, oh, well, I've done all this. And I can understand that on a logical level. But for example, my middle child, Toby, he suffers with travel anxiety. And I've always loved surprising the kids with either a trip or with doing something uh, with work. When I'm doing content creation work, we travel abroad. And I've loved doing that because these are things that I didn't get when I was a child. But for him... If I said to him, wake up, we're going to do this. I've done it before. Now that his travel anxiety is something we're more aware of, I will sit with him and explain to him where we're going, what we're doing, what time the flights are, what kind of airplane we're on, every little minute detail. Not because I'm pandering to him, but because it helps him as someone who struggles with travel anxiety. And it's a very small change for us to make in order to help him but it's something you have to actually be willing to do and sometimes yeah you do think oh I wish I could surprise but I know that surprise is not going to be joyful to him yeah and I think that's incredible and the way it's still a surprise but you're <laughs> helping and it means so much it's such a tiny thing that will take five minutes but you've just changed his whole whole experience of how he's gonna experience that and I yeah, I love that. Yeah, it makes a big difference to him. And it, it, we found with our recent trip that it really helped him to 
and feel less anxious and to enjoy it more. And he was still really anxious flying out, but he was less anxious flying in because he knew exactly what was happening. He knew what was going on. And I think that for him made a big difference. This time we saw a big difference in how his anxiety affected him. It's still there, but it affected him so much less. And that's what's really important. But again, when you have a toxic parent, I can't tell you how many people I speak to who either have anxiety, they have neurodivergency of some form or another, and the dismissal and invalidation from their parents makes everything 10 times harder, which then becomes like, a, it's like a, a vicious cycle. They get mm-hmm. invalidated and dismissed, and that makes everything worse, which means the things that they're experiencing become more prominent, which means the parent becomes angrier, which means things get worse, and it just snowballs. And it can all be stopped if that parent would be willing to put their pride away and just listen and be open to validating how their child feels. When you eventually cut ties with him and school had actually started to see this behavior and acknowledge what was happening, what what happened from there? What kind of things did school do? Did they offer anything really? Um, I, like I, in that year, a, a lot of other stuff was going on. So um, an opening for like a six week course of counseling free counselling um, in school opened up and I did receive that counselling and I kid you not the counsellor still proceeded to say what is your dad mm-hmm. you speak to your dad mm-hmm. um, and it was like you know what's going on I'm not responsible for his behaviour you know I was getting so many messages of um, from people who had worked in the school, like people who's like friends with my dad, but works in had worked in the school previously, mm-hmm. and was like, you know, I've just received this message. Hi, I'm an old friend of your dad. Just received this message, um, and I'm really worried about him. He's threatening to do this, this, and this if you don't speak to him. And I, when I say it's weekly, and it's the same. Hi, I'm an old friend of your dad's. Hi, I'm an old friend of your dad's. You don't know me, but okay. You, that's a red flag in itself you don't know me you've not sat there in that situation and has been shaking because you're so terrified of what he's going to do next and it was never f- physical it was simply just verbal and emotional um and I'm 100% sure that these people who worked in the school would never sit there and say if their friend came over for a glass of wine and was like, oh, my husband's, you know, doing this, this and this, they would never say, yeah, but he's your husband, you've got two kids with him, yada, yada, yada. But he's he's being abusive. They would never say that. They'd be like, you need to get out of that situation now. What do you need? How can I help? Mm. And that was never the case with that school. Now, and there's something really creepy and weird about other adults messaging a young teenage girl to coerce her and intimidate her into having contact with someone. That is all levels of fucked up. And yet when it comes to flying monkeys, the thing with narcissistic parents is they're so good at portraying this amazing parent on the outside and being so charming and oh I've done my best and portraying this image of somebody who really is suffering that they reel people in 
to the point where they will do these things. And I think I've told before on the podcast about my mum reeling in a, a fellow grandparent and getting her to help mum arrange a secret meeting at the bottom of the school hill when my kids came out of school baffling because now when I when I messaged that woman and said to her this is actually what you've done she was like I, I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't know she'd be there and it's like well you know you did you did and it was I, I I didn't I didn't think that that would happen no you thought that you were helping somebody who was suffering see their gang kids and you were doing something kind because you bought into their narrative and again that's what these people will have will have thought that they were helping that you were just a misguided teenager and I, I can't say it enough especially when someone is younger and especially when they are a teenager there is so much invalidation around how you're feeling what you're experiencing if you'd have reached out and said I'm unsafe when you were six or seven maybe nine or ten I think the reaction to it would have been much different. It would have been, okay, we need to get social services involved. We need to get CACAS involved. We need to help this poor child. But as soon as you become a teenager, you're just a difficult teen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And where you touched on um, the fact that people genuinely do get drawn in and they get drawn into a fake story. You know, they kind of want to hear what they want to hear and the the abuser wants to say what they want to say they won't mention the little bits and where you mentioned them drawing in and waiting at the bottom of the school hill um I've experienced that exact thing um so my so my dad's sister and my nan who's got like severe dementia so she shouldn't have even like been out the house like um and then one of my cousins they'd turned up outside the house and was going to come and knock on the door but I was leaving and I saw my nan getting out the door and they never come over to this house and I saw them coming out the door of the car and I was like oh my god it's my nan and instantly because it's my nan I ran over and like gave her a hug I was like hi nan how like how are you um and my boyfriend's parents were picking us up um and you know when you can like sense something just isn't quite right mm. um my cousin received a call and you know when it automatically says such and such a person's calling um it said you know my, my insert dad's name calling and I just felt sick and I was like they were like do you want to come for lunch with us you know do you want to come out for lunch I was like no sorry I'm I'm going out which I genuinely was and so I could just sense something wasn't right and I turned around and my my dad was coming round in his car around the corner like my boyfriend get in the car um so I like ran across the road into the car um like my my boyfriend's mum like locked the doors I was like locked the doors um we tried to like turn around um couldn't turn around he'd blocked us in so we couldn't get out so she had to reverse and then you know go down the other road and it was the most horrific experience of my life and then I was um driving down the road I was like I've not locked the door and my mum's in the house and instantly I was just like I need my mum I need to make sure my mum's okay even though I felt so unsafe and like even now I'm shaking um and I I do have um like PTSD dreams and I wake up in the night like shaking because of like this experience because it was like that's my dad 
and you know him pulling on the car door getting out of his car after blocking the road and pulling on the car door going I need to speak to her like in my face um so it was just like everything happened at once and the police did nothing yeah so often the police don't take it seriously when it's family and it's taken as it's just family drama I we reported the situation with the kids to the police and said you know if this had been anyone else you'd have been looking at an attempted abduction you'd have been looking at all sorts you know if this had been an ex-partner that maybe not an ex-partner but if this had been a family friend you've taken it so much more seriously and they just they came back it took them about I think it was about I think, it was, I think it was, I want to say three weeks, but I think it was more like six weeks to actually from start to finish from when we reported it to getting to have conversations with my mum to seeing everything. But maybe it was about three weeks. And um, they came back and said, look, she just seems like a nice old lady. She let us in. She, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? She seems like an, like you are looking me in the face and telling me you think she seems like a nice old lady when I've reported her for this. And they were just like, yeah, I, I I, can understand, you know, family disputes all the time. And I'm like, but <laughs> give me strength. At what point do you start taking this seriously? And you mentioned there that this has left you with PTSD nightmares. Um, one of the symptoms of complex trauma is, is having PTSD nightmares. It's called um, CPTSD. And it's incredibly common for you to feel such fear not just because you don't want to talk to somebody. And I think that's the thing that people miss. It's nobody feels that fear. If you'd have not wanted to talk to him and you'd have been being a stubborn teenager, you might have stamped your feet and said, I don't want to talk to you. You're a fucking dickhead. As teenagers, I want to do at times and lashed out and had a, a rage. But you didn't, you fled. And not only did you flee, you then were terrified for your mum's well-being. There's so many volumes that that speaks, and yet it still can. It still doesn't resonate with the remainder of the family. Of, of they've been complicit in creating this scenario. When your cousin and your nan—I mean, perhaps not your nan—but when your cousin could see how distressed you were, was there any kind of apology for that? Any kind of acknowledgement of how they'd been complicit in that? So, like you said with your story, it was, oh, I, I, I didn't know he was coming. I had no idea. How did you know my address? They don't know where I live. Mm. At my mom's house. They have no idea where that house is. We would always go to theirs. It was, it was an empty apology. It was like, we didn't realise it, it was this bad. Mm. Before, like, when they were, like, asking me to go to lunch, they were like, you know, like holding me on the shoulder going, you know, you need to tell me if your dad's abused you. And it was almost as if they think that I'd been like physically or sexually abused because there's like history of that in the family, um, but not with me. It was like, you're only taking me seriously if it was sexual or physical abuse, which it was not. Um and then obviously that scenario happened, but it was no apology. I messaged them afterwards um, and I was like, how do you think that behaviour is okay? Like mm -hmm. I am 15 years old at the time. I was just going to ask you, how old were you when that actually, I so see you were 15, so it was only shortly after you'd cut contact with him. Yeah, it was, it was that year um, in the October. Um, 
and then like he'd there was quite a few times where he'd turn up to the house on his own and then I did get a restraining order like I did it all myself Mm. because I was like I cannot I cannot live like this I was living in fear um with like my PTSD I you know those locks that aren't your key in the back of the door it's like the twist locks yeah um I have like I can so my door it, it won't lock and he's he's like walking down the path and like the lock won't lock and then like the door starts like crumbling down and then like I try and run upstairs and then I try and get in the loft but like you know when you keep tripping it's like I keep having to run away but I can't run away and that is so true it's despite the fact that I've cut ties I genuinely don't believe that I will ever escape um like from the whole scenario yeah I'm really sorry you feel that way it's all right and that, that's that's what it's left you feeling like I think so many people listening will resonate I resonate it resonates with me that you feel almost like you'll never quite escape the anxiety they've left you with the trauma they've left you with and you are you heal your trauma and I read a quote not so long ago that said, you're not healing, you're not healing and working on yourself to be able to handle trauma. You've always handled trauma. You've grown up with it. You've lived it. You live it. And that is a part of what makes up who you are. You heal yourself to be able to handle joy because that's yeah. the difficult part is to be able to move forward and to be able to experience things without thinking what if to be able to experience things without that sense of panic, that sense of anxiety, that sense of what if this goes wrong? And it, it's really difficult to live with trauma and to not allow it to invade everything at times, to allow it to suck the joy out of things. And that's something that you have to learn. And that's why we do therapy, why we go to coaching, why we do all the things that we do, why we find communities like this that enable us to see we're not on our own. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, finding people that say, not the same, but it's little trends that really mean so much, you know, listening to your story and certain scenarios that you've explained on the podcast. And it's like, wow, I'm not alone. Um, And I, like, I do believe that I am, I have a trauma addiction. Like I do expect, you know, I say to my sister all the time, when things are going good, I expect them to go bad. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned on the podcast that you posted yesterday, um, speaking to parents about things that you need to find out mm-hmm. and speaking to family members that you need to find out about your health. And it's like, you want to reach out and not just about health things, you want to reach out about certain scenarios. So there's certain, you know, I've been finding out my family history recently and you want to learn about those things but it almost feels like you can't because if I message that person, the implications are so much bigger than just finding out what my great granddad did in the in the war, for example. Yeah. It's so much bigger. Um, and I, just, I can't even, you know, put into words how speaking to people like this means it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it does make a massive difference to have community healing. I do think it does. And most therapists will tell you that community healing is so powerful and realizing that you're not alone in these experiences. And when I'd um, 
shared the podcast on health scares, the amount of messages I've received saying similar to what you said, even down to wanting to know about those things that are not necessarily something you need to know about in the moment, but are something that you might want to know about. My mother-in-law is an avid um, ancestry user. She loves it. She finds all sorts of things out. And it wasn't so long ago that um, she'd been putting in my details because Obviously, I'm now married to her son, so I'll be part of the family tree. And then the grandkids, so she wanted some information for them and that kind of thing. And I'd asked her on there to find out my dad's death certificate and where my dad was buried and things, because I I had no idea. And if he was buried, if he was cremated, it turns out, in all honesty, I wanted to go and see where he was buried. Um, And I'm not, I'm still not sure why. I don't think it was because I wanted to forgive him for his behaviour. I maybe just wanted to yell at it a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's, yeah. okay. Oh, that's okay. I maybe just wanted to be like, you were such a dick, mate. Like, yeah. honestly, I kind of forgive you for some of the stuff. And I know my mum poisoned me for some of the other stuff. But seriously, mate, you fucked up on that one. Um, Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I just wanted to have a cry. But he it, it actually was cremated. So that's not an option that's available but it was quite interesting when she was saying to me things like oh did you know this that that you had this relative and again on the healthcare episode I talked about how you can't trust the information that you are given and some of the things that my mum used to tell me would be like oh yes you had a grandmother who was Russian no I didn't no I didn't or there was a great great grandmother who was Russian no there was not (laughs) there wasn't um and things like, again, on the health scare episode, I mentioned how she'd said she was one of five sets of twins. No records of these things. No records. And that's incredible. Mm. And it's such, like, why Why is the need? Like, what, in, in I mean that in the, you know, the most respects possible, but what is the need to say that? Yeah, it's like that meme that the, what was the reason? Because yeah. what was it? what like what did you gain from that and there are so many things and I don't know if you relate to this with your dad but that you start to pick out that are complete bullshit and you're just like that's none of none of that was true but it makes no sense to have lied about it I don't understand what you gained from it like some lies you look at and you're like I get that there was shame involved there I get that there was a desire to protect someone there I get it. And it maybe wasn't the right choice, um, but I I get it. And you grow up being taught, you know, the the little white lie and that kind of thing. Do I look nice in this? Yes, darling, of course you do. Those kind of things. But when you're dealing with a narcissistic parent, the lies don't make any sense because they're so random and so pointless and they protect no one. They don't add any value. They don't hurt. They're just weird And I can't wrap my head around why that happens. I don't know if it's the sense of grandiosity needing to make yourself sound bigger and more important, feeling the need to embellish your story because it wasn't big enough. I don't know. But I don't know if you found that with your dad, that as time's gone on, you've discovered there were so many little things that were lied about. um, It is like what you've just said, embellishment. It's The scenario isn't untrue. But what you've just said to make it seem like it's so much bigger than it is, is the lie. Mm. Um, you know, 
whilst in the time that I am estranged, there is a scenario uh, at Christmas. It is always around like monumental times that he gets in touch. Mm-hmm. It's um, Christmas, birthdays, you know, his birthday, certain things like around when his dad passed away, so many different scenarios. And I'm like, yeah. I expect something to happen. Um, so around Christmas, I get quite anxious. And one Christmas, he'd email, he'd message my boyfriend actually, and I was li- I was not living but staying at his house over Christmas. And um, it was a picture of my nan, and she had like a um, uh, like a smashed up head. So like his her head was all bruised. Her um, she had a full black eye and it was like all down her face. It looked horrendous. It like she's just been hit in the head with a hammer. And it was, um, hi, um, hi person. Um, don't think you want to hear this, but or, I need you to pass this on to Jasmine. Her dad's, her nan's just been assaulted. And it was like, has she been assaulted? So then I emailed my cousin. Uh, why do I keep saying email? I don't email anyone. <laughs> I emailed in about five years I yeah so I messaged my cousin I was like can you tell me what's going on and she was just like yeah your nan's got dementia we're like they were planning on putting her in a home at that point um and she'd gone out to walk the dog at like three o'clock in the morning and she'd just fallen like she's fallen and hit her head but it was it was the whole she's been assaulted so then I'm like because we've got a history of the men in our family being very physically abusive Instantly, I was like, that person's done something to my nan to get money. And, you know, you instantly want to say something, but it was like, I need to step back. I cannot put myself in that situation because I know that it's a lie. Um, But I always have that family member to confirm or deny things just in case. It's difficult, isn't it? Because like you say, it was such a pointless thing to lie about because the fact that she's hurt anyway is severe enough, but it's that shock value. And it's because they know that that will get some kind of reaction or they hope that will get some kind of reaction. And the fact that you didn't rise to it is commendable because so many people would say, okay, well, now I better get in touch, what's happening? But you have that link to be able to say, okay, is this true? Is this not? And you almost have to do all the extra emotional labor of going and double checking and verifying everything that you are told. Does your dad still try and get in touch with you now, even after the restraining order? Um, It's through other people. So um, I, so in 2021 because I was receiving so many messages um I actually pretty much self self gaslighted myself I was like you know I'm turning 18 you know I was 14 when um when I left was I just a stroppy teenager was I this was I that so I actually got in contact with him and I said you know I really want to you know speak to you and then like he didn't believe it at first he thought it was my mum being nasty even though she just wouldn't waste her time on that and like we went back and forth and then he agreed to buy me a car like Mm. I didn't ask for it and he bought me a brand new car and we went out shopping and the day that I went back the first day that I went back um I said I won't be in the car with you on my own I brought my boyfriend um and on his car on the contacts on his car it had my boyfriend's mum's name 
who he'd never met. He'd never even met my boyfriend. He had his mum's name and his mum's number. And to me, I should have been like, right, please can I get out of the car? And I should never have continued to speak to him just because of that little thing. I was like, why do you have that number? How do you know who that person is? Mm. Um, like, I didn't post anything. Like, he didn't see anything. He didn't even know who she was. And it was really unusual. And then, obviously, I was bought the car. It was never in my name. It was always, well, I bought you this car, so you have to do this. I had so much money in, um, you know, like, uh, child maintenance payments. It was about, I think there was about £10,000 waiting to be put into my account. Um, that he'd never paid and he was like right well if you drop that I'll buy you a car um, and my mum was like please don't do it Jasmine please don't do it and whilst my mum was on holiday I rung child maintenance pretend, pretending to be my mum and cancelled it um, because I was so manipulated because mm. I was 17 all my friends were getting cars and I will hold my hands up and say yeah like I wanted a car and you know, I was coerced into thinking, yeah, my dad's a better person because he's just bought me this nice new car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the, like, I spoke to him for about a year after that and I went and lived with him full time, which was really difficult for my boyfriend. And it still is really difficult for him that I went back. Um, and it was weird. You know, there were certain behaviours that I was just like rising above. I was like, I just need a relationship with my dad. And then on my 18th birthday, it just blew up. Like there was a whole scenario. And um, a couple of weeks after, no, a week after my birthday, I just got up and left again. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because I'm sure there will be people that listen and think, yeah, but if it was that bad, why would you go back? And that just sounds like, oh, you've just gone back. You've got a car. I can tell you from experience the level of manipulation that goes on. And you, especially when you're a young person, like you say, you were 17, you thought, well, yeah, everybody else is getting a car and my dad's offered to buy it for me. I get people change. And you're constantly bombarded with these messages, even from professionals, like you said, the counsellor when you were 14, you should speak to your dad of, you should speak to them. You should have a relationship with them. They will support you. Um, and that you need to get back in touch with them quite often. And I see this time and time again, there will be two different ways. It's either complete neglect and you never offered anything, or you are offered these big love bombing moments of I'll buy you a car. I'll help you get a house. I'll help you do this. And then it is hung over you to such an extent. And what, what I do find quite bizarre as an adult with my own kids is turning to a child and saying, or a young adult and saying, well, a child and saying, I'll buy you a car if you let go of this money that I owe you or owe your mum for having maintained you without any support from me. It's not either or, that's bizarre. It's, I'll help you get a car so that you can have a car and live a better life and be able to do all these things and you pay your maintenance and there's something in that that says how manipulative that is and I struggle to think of any 17 year old that wouldn't go do I want 10 grand or do I want a car not a car I can't think of many I would have been exactly the same and and my mum bought me a car when I was younger 
And I've talked many a times about the way in which my mum would use finances to manipulate and to enable her abuse. I think once finances are added into the equation and are discussed, people become a lot less sympathetic because they look and they think, oh, well, you just did it for this money or you just did it for that money. And you don't. You do it because you think that this is a parent helping you, supporting you. I can't ever imagine holding finances over my kids. Like those kids are going to drain the life out of me <laughs> in terms of finances. My daughter turned around to me this morning and went, I think we should go to California. I'm like, sweetheart, we've just come back from Disney and I am so broke. Like <laughs> three weeks, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Babe, mummy is broke, broke on a broke stick. Like, I don't know what impression I gave you of who we are and what we do, but no. We're not going to go to California. She's like, mm, okay, maybe Japan. Oh, God, what? They've just got no concept. And kids will do that. Kids will say to you that they want this or they want that or they expect this or they expect that because they've got no concept. And they shouldn't at that age have a full concept of monetary value. We teach them monetary value. That's something that they learn. And as they're getting older, that's something that they come to understand and to appreciate. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that was one of the reasons when we went on holiday, the kids had to buy their own toys, that kind of thing, they had to save for it. And I think that's a great lesson for them. But to actually weaponize finances is so common with narcissistic parents and toxic parents, because it's something that they can legitimately and physically hold over you. I bought you this car and now you're not talking to me. Now you've got what you want. And it's a case of no. You loved bomb me into thinking that you were this loving, supportive parent. I let you help me in a way that you offered. I didn't ask. You offered. And now you've helped me. You think that that gives you license to treat me however you want and to be as nasty to me as you want because you think I owe you one for that. And I'm not in debt to you for that. Trust me, if I could give you the car back... I would, I maybe wouldn't, but I would. But you know, it's that if I could take it back and change it for all the money in the world, I would. But I can't because once it's done, it's done. And that's so something that, again, we don't appreciate once we're younger. And often at any point in a relationship with an abuser, you don't appreciate that once they've got that hold, they've got it. Yeah. And you can't take it back. You can't change it. You can't say, well, we'll undo it half of the time because they won't let you. If you'd have turned around to your dad and said, well, fine, have a car back and I'll I'll just do this. It would have been, well, we can't do that now. Can't yeah. do that. And I did all this for you and you've just used me. You're ungrateful. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, like it, like you say, it got to a point where I didn't want the car anymore. I didn't want it. And I had enough savings um, from working to buy my own car. Mm. You know, I had it. Um, which I did, and it's the biggest achievement you'll like I've ever had until buying a house, and it makes me feel so much better that I'm not stuck to someone. Um, but it was so like it's always it is always monetary. Mm. Um, you know the messages that I receive are, you know, we went to America for three weeks. You know, we spent all this money. We did this I've taken you up to you know to Lake Garda like you know you know so many different things you know I spent this this and this and this or I lent 
this girlfriend, yada, 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 they've done this. I'm like, that's got nothing to do with mm. it. I have never, you know, I will always say when speaking about my dad and speaking about my experiences, I'll always say, I was so grateful to have those experiences. I don't want things. I would always appreciate an experience over that. Um, and I really cannot express enough how grateful I am for those things. And how it came across to my dad, I don't know. That I if I came across ungrateful, um, you know, I apologize to him, let's say. Um, but my sister who's got a like we've got different dads, will always say to me, Jasmine, you need to stop saying thank you. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you notice in our messages, every single message that I say to you, I will always say thank you. Mm-hmm. And because I'm overcompensating, because I always had to overcompensate, even if I didn't even like it. I will always overcompensate and say thank you. Um, And that's because you've been given the message that you're nothing but ungrateful and that you're spoiled. So in order to avoid appearing so, you overcompensate and say thank you for anything. And when it comes to these wonderful experiences, I often hear this with, because there are so many different dynamics with abuse, but especially with toxic parents who do have the financial ability to woo their kids, to be able to give them everything as it were my mum's favorite saying used to be all the money I spent on your education and I'm like you spent so much money on my education that you ended up having to pull me out halfway through a school year and bung me into state education where I was bullied for having had private education because you were trying to keep up with the Joneses and I, I didn't ask for that and this is what toxic parents can't wrap their heads around is their kids are not asking for all of these things and they might be physically asking they might be saying can we go do this can we go do that can we go do the other but that's because they want to spend time with you and have those experiences with you children who grow up in poverty are not abused because they can't go and do these things they're not abused or lacking because they can't go and do these things and their asks may be different but it all centers around the same thing if they want to spend time and be with you and so often for toxic parents who do have the financial ability to aid their love bombing it's that sense of debt mindset of all of the things I've done for you and if you total up the amount of money you spend on your kids in a lifetime whoever you are it comes to more than you can afford I'm sure or it comes to a vast amount And it always will, because having a family is expensive. Living is expensive. But no loving, rational, healthy parent would look at their kids and be like, well, you owe me for that. Because they simply don't. You made the choice to have those children. You made the choice to take your kids abroad. You made the choice to put them in private education, whatever it might be. He made the choice to take you to Lake Garda. He made the choice to buy you a car. He made the choice to do all these things for his child but then in turn also made the choice to weaponize it. And that's why he's ended up without contact with you. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned like the private education and I, I never received that, but it's, it's, you know, it's like a donkey with a, like a carrot, you know, she said, oh, here's private education and then took you out of it mm. because you afford it. Like you, you pre-plan and, you know, and the fact that you were bullied and that's just trauma in itself 
and I, I'm so sorry that you've experienced that. Mm. It was, it was a weird situation to be in. And I think a lot of it was blamed on my dad because my dad was another one who didn't pay maintenance, very neglectful, didn't have any involvement really once he got his own um, family going and and was trying IVF and all sorts with his partner at the time. Uh, So that all his extra money went on that as opposed to on child maintenance and went on trying to build a new family as I was told it. Um, And there was a lot of resentment and hate from my mum that went towards my dad that I would then be caught in the crossfire of, which was very difficult growing up. That was that was a difficult situation to navigate as a young child. You were talking when I came out of private education, 12 um, and was given all these these messages from tearful teachers who were like it was so sudden it was literally within a week um of finding out I was out I think it was three days I was given three days to say goodbye to everyone and then I had teachers saying you know I'm I'm so sorry that you're going that I'm so sorry and it would just my response was always yeah well my mum can't afford it because my dad's decided not to pay maintenance so that's not a message that I should have been given as a child even if it was true, yeah, that's not something that I then needed to be repeating as a young child or that I then needed to have on my shoulders, especially when the messages when my mum was angry with me would also be, you just like your father. Absolutely. Hmm. Honestly, I cannot agree more. It's it's fascinating um, to hear not the same story, but it is. Mm. It is. It is. There's always a, a trend with it. Always mm. a trend. There is. Jasmine thank you so much for coming on and chatting to me um I know we're going to keep this as just a first name and anonymous so I won't be linking up any of your socials or anything like that but I am so grateful for your time and for sharing your stories I know I've had a few people messaging recently asking for more input about toxic fathers because we do talk a lot from my own experience about toxic mothers and my limited experience. I do touch on my experience with my father, but to hear someone who has such an overtly narcissistic father come forward and how your experiences have shaped your childhood has hopefully been really helpful for people out there and a little bit cathartic for you as well. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Right, guys, I'll speak to you again next week. Have a good one. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.